We're doing the podcast. Okay, we're up. We're good. How in the heck are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Brian, I'm good, man. It's been a minute since I've seen you. Yeah, I think the last time I saw you was on the Garcia Brothers project Ooh. when you were shooting some BTS stuff. Yeah, what was that movie you guys were shooting? Uh, when they pitched it, they said it was like The Goonies meets Goosebumps. Okay. And I was very intrigued. I bet. That's like my childhood rolled into yeah. one movie set. <laughs> it was It was one of my, fa- like aside from my projects, it was my favorite thing I've ever worked on. Really? It was so much fun. So how long was that shoot? These guys came in town from like Utah or something like that. They're from Idaho. Idaho. Um, I think it was three weeks or a month. They shoot it all in Knoxville? Mm Mm-hmm. Why? Why'd they come here? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> but I'm glad that they did. I know. I'm, I met the uh, I, I met like the the producers and everything from it. They look like some New York guys with glasses and like old money kind of kind of classic Hollywood stuff. And I'm like, you know, where are you guys from? They're like, oh, we're all from Michigan. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Why you guys are supposed to be from L.A. or New York? Like, you know, what's what's going on here? I nope. didn't. It, it didn't compute for me. Michigan and Idaho. Yeah. What was the what was the story about? Uh, It was about these kids who, you know, they find a map and they go and find this treasure. Yeah. Kind of a situation. I don't want to spoil anything. I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about and what I'm not. Is it not out yet? Not yet. No. The uh, it was a couple brothers that were the director and the DP on it. And they were both really nice guys. They're like the sweetest humans that have ever lived. What are their names? Drew. and Oh, God. I'm sorry. Oh, no. You can edit this, right? Yeah. (laughs) Sure. Jesus Christ. Drew and Nate. I'm the worst. Uh, Yeah. I'm sorry. I still talk to Drew pretty often. Nate, I don't talk to as much. I apologize, Nate. But one of them was kind of the story guy and the other one was kind of the camera picture guy, right? Correct. Yeah. Drew was the DP and then Nate was more about performance and keeping everybody honest about the story. Yeah. I remember talking to them uh, while I was there and I was only there for a day shooting behind the scenes stuff with everybody. And I just remember thinking like... I wish everybody could see this side of the movie industry where it's not a bunch of assholes with egos running around throwing their assistant director across the room and telling them what to do. Like these guys are human beings that are treating everybody awesome and they're getting great stuff and they're approachable. And uh, it's just it, 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 uh, it made me realize that the new that the new way of doing things is taking hold like the the, the legacy uh, mentality of. I'm the director and everybody else is nothing or I'm the, you know, the DP and everybody else is just here to serve me. It seems like that mentality was was nowhere to be found on that shoot. And it was so refreshing. Yes. Not even a little like those guys egos are they're very, very humble and just they would listen to input from everybody. And it was just such a pleasure to work with them. That's truly how'd they find you? Uh, Lisa Lacey. Oh, yeah. I think she contracted me on that one. A producer that's been around here forever. Just a little bit. Yeah. And they and they seemed like they hired a, a good mix of crew from from Knoxville, New York, Nashville. I mean, they hired they hired a, a, a good amount of people from town. It wasn't like they flew everybody in. No, I think um, the majority of everybody on that shoot was from Knoxville. Yeah. A couple of Nashville kids. I think department heads might have come from New York or a couple different places. I remember the for the AD that I worked with. Oh, yeah. Genta. 
<laughs> was her name. Yep. She was a New York gal. Yep, her and um, Tony Beef. The yeah, fir- the first. <laughs> yeah, they were from New York. You're or Jersey. Yeah, yeah, the Garden State. Do you work on a lot of movies? Uh, I did last year. I did a. Let's see. I did one, two. I think I did three features last year. Wow. And so that was really fun. Is that uh, been regular for you in the past, or is that kind of a is that a kind of a uh, an exception to the kind of work that you've been doing? Oh, it was an exception. The yeah. the Garcia Brothers movie was the first feature I'd ever worked on. Really? Mm-hmm. And just had such a good experience that I, I've heard horror stories about other ones from other people on cruise, and that one was just a dream. And so I was like, "Yes, fuck yes, keep going." Okay, yeah. I swear. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um. So I did that one, and then I did another one called Roof, um, and those guys were all from L.A., and then I worked on the Dolly Parton movie. Awesome. In the fall, and that, okay. was, that was like the NBC Christmas special thing. Yeah, I heard that was really well-received. I, I think heard, so. I heard it was good to work on. Yeah, that one was really, really um, – everybody was really sweet there, too. And that was at – that shot almost exclusively at Dollywood, right? Yep. And, and then the winter. Like one oh. of the hotels, I can't remember the name of Dream, Dream War, War, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like? Did you work did you see Dolly and and, <laughs> and, and all and all that? I uh hadn't been starstruck really before. And I remember walking into the first day at work, <laughs> I stepped into the set and it was Dolly Parton and Willie Nelson. And I just walked in, I was like, fuck me, why am I here? <laughs> And then Willie's over there picking his guitar. Dolly's picking her guitar. They're just riffing and singing together. And I was like, holy fucking shit, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> so great, man. That's that's fun. I, I don't know that I've uh I don't know that I've I'm trying to think if I've been starstruck on set before. It's been it's been uh, uh you know, little bits of it here and there, but I've I, I don't know that I've ever stepped in with a Dolly Parton before. I've shot with uh with Peyton a bunch of times, and that's that's kind of crazy. After he's you know at, yeah uh, like you know NFL MVP and all that, and he commands the room yeah. And, but other stuff has been like nerdy things for me, like character actors. When I was living in LA, that I like that I would walk on set and like Fred Willard's there or something like that, like somebody who or like Gene Simmons who was uh, a judge on a competition show that I was working with, and I'm like, okay, this is this is some. <laughs> This is some shit. Like, this is... Yeah, but Fred Willard's fucking hilarious. Pour one out for him, man. He died a couple years back. Did he? Yeah. I didn't know that. I know. Uh. He was so great in all the Best in Show stuff mm-hmm. and all the Christopher Guest movies, Waiting for Guffman. And... Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So great. Anchorman. When he did Anchorman, though, you could kind of tell. I don't know if you you remember Anchorman when he goes to light his cigar because he's like the he's the uh, head of the newsroom right. on Anchorman, and then he says delivers his line. He's like, "Doesn't matter, just get it done." And goes to light his cigar, and it's just like shaking oh. as he's lighting it. And I was like, "Oh no, I guess my I man is on his way out." I know, but he he lived a good ten or fifteen more years after that, and <laughs> and still worked. You know, yeah, most of it. And he was a really nice guy to work with too. Yeah. I spent I spent a day I spent a day in the green room with him, and he was a. Super nice guy and no no ego at all. What was Gene Simmons like? Gene Simmons was his persona uh, in person. Like I, I had a couple conversations with him that were human in in nature, but he he definitely had like a he definitely had a very much a, a reputation to uphold, um, and you know and and live by it. But a nice enough guy, you gotcha. know, it was wasn't. 
wasn't an asshole to everybody, which was good. His now his wife at the his unmarried, happily unmarried wife of twenty two years at the time, Shannon Tweed. Oh yeah, they have two kids together. She 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 was she wasn't as nice as he was. I'll just say that. <laughs> I, I, I I I I feel okay saying that. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but I worked with Chevy Chase too when I was in L.A. and he was. Uh, he was cool to work with. I mean, a lot a lot of people have their Chevy Chase stories, and he's he's uh, he knew that I was that I was an upcoming aspiring actor at the time, and he um, was nice enough to run lines with me in his in his uh, dressing room. I was a I was just an extra on the shoot, and the director knew that I the director knew that I was getting into acting and that I I wanted to go that route and. Uh, uh, Chevy and I sat and and ran lines for like, I don't know, 30 minutes or so, but he was, uh, he was a a decent human being to me. And then like when we got out of there and got in the room, he put on the show, you know, for everybody, which was fine. He smoked the hell out of some Marlboro Reds. I'll tell you that right now. Did he? Yeah. Okay. I was smoking them with him. I couldn't (laughs) hang, dude. I couldn't hang. (laughs) Yeah. He came here for the, um, for the Rifkin movie. Yeah, the, uh, the last movie star with Burt Reynolds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did did you work on that one? I did not. No, yeah. I wish I would have. They hired a bunch of people from out of town. Did they? Yeah, they hired a bunch of Nashville people to to crew that up. I, I mean, there were a handful of guys like Matthew Rogers. I think worked on it, and a, a few other people worked camera department. But I think a lot of their 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 G and E was from oh, Nashville and and all that, and weren't like pulling. I don't know. I I, I think. I was surprised to not see a lot more, a lot more locals on it. What about the roof? What was that movie? Uh, roof was about two people who get stuck on top of a skyscraper during a blackout in LA. Um, and one of them is pregnant. And so it's about kind of their journey. They're both kind of shitheads at the beginning. And then it's kind of their journey of like self-reflection and then uh, just physical toll that it takes on them being on top of an you know, completely exposed roof in the middle of the summer. So, so is the story linear? They're on the roof the whole time and it's doing flashbacks and stuff like that? Not really many flashbacks. Really? No, there's a, there were a couple of scenes in a few other places, but they were mostly like preamble things. Wow. Um, and then some post-roof things. But I mean, we were on the top of the Hyatt building last July oh. for three or four weeks. Sounds hot. It was toasty. <laughs> Do you remember the movie uh, 12 Angry Men? I've never seen that movie. It takes place. I'm the worst. (laughs) I mean, it's old. I I know, but I I, I, I get it. There are just some classic movies that like escaped me. Yeah. You know? Well, that was, that was a a special one because I'm pretty sure the entire movie takes place all in a jury room, like a deliberation room. In that one room? They don't go anywhere else? No. The entire film takes place in that room. Is it captivating? It's a really good movie. Okay. I'm going to have to watch this one. Yeah. I mean, it, that's got to be, I don't know. I mean, that borderlines on theater, I think, right? Just like super dialogue driven, yeah, uh, uh, emotion type stuff that you know you're not relying on on camera tricks and and crazy situational stuff to tell your story, but but rather dialogue and emotion, right? <laughs> it's just got to be just such tremendous acting and just stay out of the fucking way. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the good old days, man. It's when you when you. When you had to be good at those uh, fundamentals, right, to keep an audience. So, uh, I'm I'm always really interested in people that work in our industry and and people like you who have, 
you know, made a good living doing it and raised a family in Knoxville, Tennessee doing it. Um, what, what was the, what was the thing that, that got you interested or got you, you know, deciding to be behind the camera? Oh boy. It's gonna be a long story. Do it. Um, so I think I was 18 and, uh, I just come up to UT and a buddy, uh, a friend of mine and I, we were, we had dreams of moving to LA working in the movie industry. And we were just, we, we were going to drop out of college. We we're going to move back home. And we we're going to go. What did you want to do in the movie industry? I wanted to direct. Okay. Um, so, uh, he ended up going to full sale cause he's a liar. Really? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. He, he goes down to full sale and then he's coming back and he was like, Hey man, well, I'm from Memphis. So he was like, let's move back to Memphis. Let's live with our parents for like six months, a year, save up money and then we'll go. Yeah. So, uh, he gets done with full sale. We moved back to Memphis and then a week later he got a call from Paramount hmm. and he got a job. So doing he, what? So he left, he was like a low level, uh, like producing, like associate producer or something yeah. like that. Is that what the route he wanted to go? Yes. Okay. So he was a producer type. You were a director type. Correct. Amundo. Okay. So he goes and I did not. Okay. Um, and where'd he go for Paramount? Uh, he ended up moving out to LA. I'm not sure all of the logistics of it, but he just, he was like, Hey man, I got a call from Paramount. I got to go. And I was like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I'll see you later. Yeah. You weren't ready. I didn't go. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I met my first wife very short lived, uh, starter marriage did not work out. Yeah. It lasted about six months. And okay. then I was like, fuck this move back to Knoxville. And that was in Memphis that you, that was when I was in Memphis. Okay. So I moved back to Knoxville and I was like, all right, I'm going to go back to school. I dropped out. And so I was going back to school and I saw some tiny little thing in the library that said like uh, film studies meeting or something. Mm. So I go to the meeting and it had been, it was the first year that it was offered as a major. So I was like, fuck yeah. So I sign up for that. I started taking all the film classes, right? I met Paul Harrell, mm-hmm. uh, who's been a, a big inspiration of mine and just a tremendous filmmaker. If you haven't seen his stuff, please go watch it. Um, so I'm doing all of that and I make a few short films. Right. And I ended up, uh, I went out with a friend of mine and I ended up at a bar with the right guy. Right. And he ended up being the VP of Jupiter. Hmm. I didn't know who he was at the time. I was actually doing a podcast and we were, (laughs) it was me and Edwards, Chris Edwards, me and Chris Edwards. And we were, we would have three grown men watching Dawson's Creek and then we would talk about it. Nice. Afterwards. Did you watch it on the podcast? We would watch it before and then we would do a podcast, like a kind of a wrap up. Well, like a companion episode. Yeah. It was like Gilmore Guys. I love it. It was a good time. Was that the name of the podcast? The name was I Don't Want to Wait. Okay. Because of the theme song, which yes. doesn't come in until season two. Actually. Really? Yeah. That show is really fucking weird. Yeah. If you- <laughs> Didn't they make that one in, uh, in uh, Wilmington? I think, yeah, somewhere. Somewhere close. It was in North Carolina, right? Yeah. Yeah, somewhere around there. I don't know where. There was a creek and Pacey lived there. That's all I know. <laughs> That's all you got out of out of out of all those episodes? Is 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 that that the, the, right. the, the theme song didn't come in until season two and it was near a creek? That's right. Yeah. Okay. And Dawson's dad taught him how to kiss using a mannequin. Okay. It's weird, man. Yeah. Huge show. Oh yeah. WB the, or something. It was on the WB. Yeah. Is that Vanderbeek? Uh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pre-Varsity Blues. <laughs> yeah, which was a great film, too, when I was in high school. So anyway, uh, I ended up 
um, I was talking to this dude about the podcast. He loved the idea. And he was like, well, what do you want to do, man? And I was like, oh, I want to make movies. And he was like, well, do you have, uh, you got some stuff you could show me? And I was like, sure, I guess. They're like shitty student films. No problem. Who was it? Todd Moss. Okay. And he was a VP of something at, at, yeah. Ju- at Jupiter? And so I sent him my stuff and he was like, well, hey, man, we'll give you a shot. So he got me on as an AD on Homicide Hunter. Oh, wow. So I get on Homicide Hunter. What year was this? This was 2015, I think. Okay. Somewhere in there. Um, So I ended up, uh, Jeff Woods directed that show for a really long time. Yeah. And I learned most of what I know from him. Awesome. Um, Jeff's an awesome dude. Yep. So I did that for a while, and then him, he and his wife were going out of town, and they needed a director for an episode, and I threw my hand up real fast, and I was like, I think I could do it. Never directed any television show ever. It was terrifying. But you'd watched the machine run, right? I, I'd watched the machine. And, and I, you had engineered the, the machine, too. You, this is You'd true. helped facilitate it. So It's still, though, it's like, if I fuck this up, yeah. it's not going to be good right. <laughs> for me. Yeah. But I had the same DP, which is really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a gentleman named Dan Kelly. Okay. Um, so it ended up going really well. And then I got my own shows, I don't know, probably like six months after that. Wow. And then just kind of ran. So you didn't, uh, you didn't take Jeff Wood's job, did you? You didn't, he he came back and got his job. Yeah. But you, but you showed enough chops to where when the opportunity came up, you were the first one in line to take it. Correct. That's awesome. Yeah. What show was your first, your first one where you were right there at the top of the call sheet? Murder Calls. Yeah. Yeah, I loved working on murder calls. So, uh, you know, uh, people who don't necessarily uh, or aren't as familiar with the production company infrastructure, uh, especially around Knoxville, Jupiter does Jupiter Entertainment. Uh, a lot of their content has to do with uh, true crime, mm-hmm. right? And so they uh, they might hear the the word murder in a lot of the names of, uh, <laughs> of of some of the shows that you might talk about. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you find a niche and and go with it. Like if you're if if you're going to be a uh, if you're going to create true crime content, why not be the company that only creates true crime right? content? So what was the name of the first one you said? Murder Calls. Murder Calls. So the idea was that we would play real 911 calls at the beginning of the episode and kind of let the story play out from there. Ooh, I like that. It was cool. It was just some of them were kind of gut-wrenching. I that is something that is is kind of ubiquitous with everyone I talk to seems like they all say that people that have have made a living in this true crime stuff that it does have like an emotional toll on you a little bit man like we did one um it was about this guy who was a serial killer and would abduct you know 13 14 year old girls and my daughter was 13 or 14 at the time and i was like okay well you can't ever leave the house again yeah i'm so sorry (laughs) so that one so that one got you yeah a lot of them have gotten me you know so does the uh the repetition of continuing to surround yourself with that type of content does it start to does it start to form any uh kind of uh, 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 emotional uh, a lack of emotional sensitivity to that stuff like can you turn yourself off to it or do you still do you still feel it every time you're working on one of these uh, one of these shows with such heavy you know subject matter i mean i feel it you do um i do um because these are real people real stories things that actually happened and you're like you know these poor field producers have to go out and interview the mother and be like, Hey, talk about the worst day of your life. Yeah. You know? And it's just like that to me, it's just, I think about my kids and my family and it just kills me. 
So it's, I, I try to compartmentalize as best I can. Um, but we also, we have a real opportunity to tell these stories, you know, to, tr in my opinion, try to like prevent things like this from happening in the future, to right. sh shed some light on it, do a little bit of good and do justice to these right. people. So what, what are the motivations for these people to give an interview of what happened to a member of their family? Like, are they motivated to solve the case or if the case has been solved, like what, why would, if you had something horrible and traumatic happen to you and a field producer called you and said, I'd like to interview you about this, why did these people even agree to do it? I'm sure in some way it's cathartic, Yeah, you know, and uh, again, just to kind of, I think it's more of like a preventative thing. You know, if mm. like this happened to my kid, I don't want it to happen to yours. Right. Kind of, kind of a vibe. Paying it, paying it forward a little bit. I think so. You know, if you can do good with like something horrific and terrible, then good on you. So, so then a, a lot of this content, mur like murder calls, for instance, you, you have this 911 call. And then uh, is, as far as like the mechanics of how the show is cut and how it's presented, are there, is there interview stuff that is that in there that propels the story yep okay and then so the part that you're shooting is not the interviews no we shoot like the uh the recreation part of it okay so you're so you are are shooting um you i guess you're shooting a representation of what happened whether it's something you hear in the 911 call or something that you hear in an interview correct that's fun that i mean that's movie making yeah for sure i mean it's um i listened to the show with chad when he was on yeah. and it's you're 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 getting in your reps right yeah. so every each week we have an hour long you know movie to make yeah chad cunningham said said that he was that he was getting his 10,000 hours yeah you know and i mean i don't think that was to disparage the work because he's very passionate about the work that he's doing but it is a great way to use all of your filmmaking tools in a real way that is your job. You're not you're not in film school anymore. Like you're yeah. actually getting to go out there and 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 you know, utilize these these filmmaking tools and these filmmaking practices in in a in a in a real way even though it might not go on the big screen. No, absolutely. And it's just um to me we make the most we do the most beautiful work that we can possibly do, you know, under a lot of these are like quick turnaround things. So you don't have as much time as you would have on like a feature and that sort of thing. So it really makes you think on your feet and it just, it makes you adapt to certain situations, which I think is just the most beneficial thing in filmmaking is adaptation and anticipation. Yeah. I told somebody that the other day, I was like, I forget what it was. It was like, you know, our, we we shoot this stuff for free for our clients. It's the problem solving that they're paying for, right? Because <laughs> that's the hardest. It seems like that's the hardest part of it. That's when the wheels are really, really turning. When you've got to come up with a, when you've got to come up with a solution for something, whether it's a way to tell a story or a way to visually represent something uh, that there's not a playbook for, and it's up to you. And there's nobody to ask if it's right or not. Yep. Another thing that uh, that that Chad that Chad mentioned, and I think I asked him about was, uh, when you're dealing with this kind of subject matter and, and, you know, true crime, it seems like a lot of crime happens at night. So if you're recreating this stuff, you have to shoot it at night. So, uh, assuming that you've had to do a lot of night shooting and, 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 you know, call times are 5 PM and you're, you know, getting home at five in the morning, uh, what kind of, toll does that take on a man's mind and body oh god well i'm 37 now 
Um, and it's, it just gets worse and worse. <laughs> like It's like everything else in our lives. Oh it just it gets God. harder. It's just, you know, like if you have to, you're going to watch the sun come up when you get off work. Like it's just, it's the worst, man. Yeah. <laughs> you're just on the side of a highway. Just like, oh, I'd kill someone to go to sleep, please. Yeah. Do, do people get tired towards the end of, uh, towards the end of days? Of course. Yeah, man. I mean, we only do, we do tens. So it's yeah. not, it's not. That's civilized. Yeah, it's nothing. It's not that crazy. But when your ten ends at six a.m., it's like you're you're. I mean, for me, I've got kids, so like my schedule's fucked up for like three days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unless you're doing that every day, like you can't. It's not worth tilting your schedule and getting in that mindset. No, it's like you're just gonna stay up the whole next day and hang out and be a zombie for a little while and go to sleep at like seven p.m. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's too bad it's not like the the 1980s in the music in the music video days that you used to hear about in Nashville where they're, you know, everybody's so coked up just to stay awake, you know, they're shooting 18-hour days. I think we work with people a little smarter than that now. That's right. <laughs> I'd like to think so anyway. Yeah, I think I mean after 8 8 or 9, you know, you're going to start get things are going to start Hours? wave yeah. Your things are going to start wavering. Yeah. A little bit. Like even 10, like 12s on like the features and whatnot. Like by hour 11, everybody's, everybody's tired. Is that whether you shoot normal hours or not? Or is that just if you shoot? I mean, I think so. those are long ass days. Yeah. You know, especially like our, our industry is fairly intensive. Um, and so I think if you're, if you're doing anything for that long, it's, it's going to take a toll on you anyway. But like, especially like grips and yeah gaffers they're just lugging shit around all day it's like it's got to make you so beat and and not not to say that everyone is like this in our industry in our field but it seems to me like like we work with people who just don't phone it in like in in even if you're at the end of a 10-hour day like they're given they're given a plus effort even then and it and it's it always surprises me because you know a lot of jobs you can just sit there and kind of do a 70% job and everything's good. But with our business, I mean, I'm sure there's shortcuts and things you can take, but like it shows and it's obvious. And if people don't give a hundred percent, uh, then everybody suffers. And so I've, I've always found it really fascinating, the work ethic and like the, the, the motor that people in our, our industry have. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, if you think about it, like, we're all given this really fantastic opportunity that not everyone has, right? Like we get to play make-believe for a living. Yeah. Like it's nuts. We're the luckiest people on the planet, if you ask me. Sure. So it's like, if we're here for this long, I think everybody shares this sentiment. It's like, we're going to do the best work we can in the amount of time that we have. And there's like no, no qualms about it. It's like, just go. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really strange how, and I don't know if everybody loves it or not, but it feels like everyone you just get this vibe that everybody's happy to be working and maybe it's the maybe it's the the freelance nature of it to where you are unemployed after the job's over right so you're grateful to be there and you're going to do the best job ever so the person making the decisions make sure that you're around the next time yeah, absolutely because i mean there have been times where i mean as a freelancer it's like you have you're like without work for three months and you're like everything's probably fine and then you get to six and you're like, fuck me, man. <laughs> so then when you do get that job, you're just like, yes. Yeah. So you're going to kick ass, man. Yeah. Yeah. What's the longest you've, you've gone without a, without a paying gig. Oof. Um, let's see. 
when was that Garcia Brothers? That was in May. So was that five months, six months? Yeah. So something like, like that. Tailing off COVID stuff then. Uh, it, my son was born uh, December twenty eighth. Okay. Nice. Of uh, twenty two, and so it was this. Or no, I'm sorry, twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Um. So it was this last, like the year before. Yeah, I remember my the director that taught me a lot, Michael Underwood. He was my my mentor when I first started out. Took me under his wing. Took me everywhere. Took me all over the world with him, and I didn't know anything. And by the end, I was a you know somewhat dangerous uh, filmmaker. Uh, but when he retired, I had put all of my eggs into his basket. And when he retired, I think my birthday is May eighth. So from the beginning of the year until you know my birthday, I think I had four paying days of work oh wow and yeah and and it didn't pick up much after that either and people are always like i was having this conversation with my buddy the other night he's uh because he was he was talking about being slow and and you know just having a few days here and there and i was like man but look at all the free time you have like i work every single day and you know i i, I wish i had more free time you yeah know? sure I, I just wish i had more time with my family or more, you know, more time to do hobbies or whatever it is. I'm like, when you've got all these things, he's like, I know, but I feel like such a loser because I'm not working <laughs> that, that I don't feel like I can give myself. It's true. You know, this, I don't feel like I deserved it. So there's a, there's a, there's a, a happy medium yeah. there somewhere. But if you are in the freelance world, then you have to both plan for that and ex expect it it's true really and i mean you know woody allen has made a movie every year for the last 60 years and i guarantee you he don't work all the time has it been 60 years i mean it's been since the 60s jesus i think his That's first film came out in the out. late 60s <laughs> And the dude's made a movie every year. Some yeah. years he made two. Yeah, he's a psycho. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's a psycho. Yeah. But, but I mean, even even that, like, in, in Quentin Tarantino, somebody, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I was like, I remember when The Hateful Eight came out, it was like, Quentin Tarantino's eighth movie. I was like, he's one of the most prolific filmmakers of all time, and he's only done this eight times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 60 for Woody. Yeah. <laughs> What what was your your favorite place that you went when you what was his name again? I'm sorry, Michael Underwood. Michael Underwood. What was your favorite place that you guys went to? Man, I I gotta say, like the favorite city that we went to that we visited with regularity was uh, was Minneapolis. And interesting. The I don't know why it was like it was just kind of a vortex of good times and good talent, good shoots. One of my buddies plays for the Minnesota Vikings, so we'd go to Vikings games when we were there, and like it was just always. Uh, it was just always a good time. Um, but the, I think the favorite city or favorite place that I went to that I'd never been to before was probably Budapest. We went there. He took me to Europe a few times for some shoots. Hell yeah. And we went to Budapest once and shot some stuff for a project there. And that was, that was probably like, you know, one of those. This is, this, is, this is a cool place. And Toronto. We went to Toronto a handful of times to shoot HGTV promos with the Property Brothers because they lived up there. Well, they lived in Vegas, but they they had a place in Toronto that they worked out of. So we went to Toronto a handful of times, and I kind of fell in love with that city a little bit. Okay. 
But the last time I went to Toronto for work, I lost every single bit of shine that that city had for me because it was such a miserable experience. What what happened? So we were, I'm going to preface this by saying it was our fault. It was not <laughs> Toronto's fault. It was not anybody's fault. What of our misfortune, but we were flying uh, to um, to Edmonton, Alberta, which is on the west side of the country. It's a three hour flight from Toronto. Okay, but we had to fly into Toronto. The best thing to do from the east coast, or the fastest thing to do, if I had it to do over, I would not do this. But the <laughs> the the best the 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 uh, uh, seemingly the best way to do it is to fly from the states into Toronto, go through customs in Toronto, and then just take a. Uh, a a, a uh, national or not national, but a, a non-international flight from Toronto to uh, to Edmonton. So we had we were going to film a goose hunt in 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 Saskatchewan, which was like a three-hour drive from from Edmonton, as and, one does. Right? Yeah, that's where that's where you uh, <laughs> that's where you film snow geese. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and when we we flew with all our cameras, we had we had red cameras so like cinema cinema camera builds with you know anton bauer gold mount batteries that were 150 megawatt hours which mm-hmm. are the big boys which you got to have to to do that and um you know here in the states we tend to um i guess we we look at at tsa's battery recommendations and how big they can be <laughs> as like maybe a suggestion and not like <laughs> hard and fast rules. And so um, unfortunately the Canadians are, are, are a little more strict on that policy. So, so when we left Atlanta, um, you know, we go, we go through and we've got these big ass camera batteries with us, uh, 150 megawatt hours. That's important. I think the, the max is 90 or a hundred, what you're able to fly with. And if they're, if they're, I think, 90 or 100, you're, you're supposed to carry them on with you. You can't okay. put them under the plane because if they explode and catch fire, then nobody knows about it. But if they're in, you know, if, if they're, you know, underneath the seat in front of you and, you know. Then, then everybody knows. Exactly. Then everybody knows. You yeah. put that shit out. It's fine. And so we get, <laughs> we get through Atlanta and we're like, hey, man. They're letting us fly with these. We good. And then we we land in we land in Toronto to make our connection and we go through customs, all good. And then we're like kind of hustling. We've got like we're about to miss our next flight because customs took forever. And we get to uh we get to where it says to go um to 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 our gate for our next flight, and the the corridor spits us out and to the like ticketing part of the airport, meaning we have to go back through security. Oh no! In order to get to our gate, mm-hmm. and so we we get to the, yeah do the whole routine That's and right. then pop, pop those shoes off. Yeah, exactly. Pop that shirt off, pants too. <laughs> and and then our bags are going through, and and then you see it go down the conveyor belt, and then stop, and then do the old diversion where it rolls yep. over to the secondary check bag, and then they're like, "What about these?" And we're like. We flew here with them. This is fine. Yeah. That, uh, how do? Excuse me, sir. How do I get here if these were <laughs> if these aren't allowed? He's like, yeah, I can't let these through. And I'm like, okay. Well, what? Uh, so, what are my options? He's like, throw them away. I'm like, that's twenty five hundred dollars worth of batteries. I can't throw them away. Yeah. No, man. thank you. Yeah. And so we go to the counter, try to get a, a waiver to let them fly, let us fly with them. That's going nowhere. They're like, no. 
you have to ship them home. So by now we've missed our flight. That's in the books. So we're we're already spending a night in Toronto at this point. We're not making it to Edmonton. And uh we and so I I Ubered to FedEx and uh we're like, okay, we'll FedEx these home. You know, that's gonna be, you know, super expensive because they're heavy, but yeah, we'll FedEx them home and then we'll rent batteries when we get to Edmonton. We get to FedEx, put them on the counter, and you would have thought we walked in there with a fucking ticking time bomb. <laughs> the way they handled these batteries, they're like, those are gigantic. Please, sir, step away. Like they they weren't a, a, they weren't a, about to have any of it. Are you serious? They were like, we don't have the hazardous material license to ship these. Are you kidding? And it's like, man, are you guys really gonna just do this? And and so me and my buddy Cody Walters, we end up having to spend a night and. In Toronto, it was a mess, and we're just mad the whole time we're there. And and we end up, it's like, well, what are we going to do with these batteries that you know we can't? We're trapped with with them. So we 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 left them at the hotel uh, at the front desk and said someone will be by to pick these up later. And then we flew to Edmonton and rented uh, and and rented batteries in in Edmonton. And, and the shoot went off. It just we missed a half a day, but. Uh, the way those, the way, uh, to round out this story is I know that yeah, everybody has to know how these batteries made it home back to the States, uh, a firearms dealer who knew a guy at the production company did him a solid favor and went by the, uh, Hyatt hotel at the Toronto <laughs> airport and picked up the, uh, batteries and drove them across the border back to the United States. You had your batteries smuggled home. We had them. We had our batteries smuggled home. That's the longest story I've ever told on the podcast. But it, it all, all that to say, Toronto, I loved you. I'm cooling though. I'm cooling on you now. Fucking Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 crazy. You you know you. Uh, uh, I guess uh, relations had changed. International relations and air safety had changed a little bit since I'd been there last too. So they're pretty, they're pretty strict about that stuff. No, like we, um, I was with, do you know Damien Young? Yeah. Okay. So me and Damien and Chapman were on the shoot and we, we'd gone to Edinburgh and then we flew into Mumbai. Oh, wow. Right. So yeah. we're in Mumbai and. What uh, country is that in? That's in India. India. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sorry. No, we, it was, so we also went to Nepal. Okay. And then we came back from Nepal and when we came back, we were going to get, to get on another flight to leave and. They had uh, they had reds with them, and that you know, like the little red tool. Yeah, the red camera tool. Yes. Yeah. So customs in India does not care for the red camera tool. Really? And, yeah. It's like a Torx wrench. Yeah. What so, do they not like about it? I'm not sure. I can think you it, can you uh, 3D print a plastic weapon and put it together? It was too pointy. It was too pointy. I don't know what it was, but Damien is getting belligerent with the customs officers, and then we just see like four or five of them come over with AKs. No and way. And we we're like, hey, Damien. Damien, chill, chill out a little bit, buddy. Lower your voice. Can you stop yelling? And, then and this if, is in Mumbai or Nepal? This is in Mumbai. Okay. And we, <laughs> me and Chapman and um, and Micah, we ended up just naturally shuffling away. Yeah. From Damien. From, from Damien and, and the firearms. And, and the AK-47s. And yeah. they ended up taking the fucking thing. And we had to have something overnighted. And it was a whole thing, man. So it's like international customs and cameras. It's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Everybody has different rules. Yeah. Because we flew everywhere. Right. With these things, and it was yeah. just India. They were and like, that's nah. it, too. Like, it depends on the person you get. Yep. They're having a bad day. Sure. Their wife was mean to them before they came to work. Yeah. You know, and they're like, fuck this guy in a screwdriver. Next time, I, I don't know why I just now thought about it. I'm greasing palms. 
I'm, right? I'm taking $100 Canadian. Yep. And I'm saying, is there maybe something we can work out, sir? That's right. And then you for sure won't go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> the cover-up's way worse than the crime. It's, um, it's going to be fine. Yeah, that's that's probably the death penalty in Canada oh, for these bribery. Batteries? Yeah. Here's a hundy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the conversion of Canadian dollars and U.S. dollars? Uh, I think I, I think it's still I think it's still pretty close, but um, I think you know. $10 American is like $12 Canadian maybe or 11 okay. or something like that. I could I could be wrong, but I think that's last time. I've always looked at it as one-to-one. Okay. But then you go to like Toronto and, and you're in some like, you know, three-bedroom townhouse just outside of town. And they're like, yeah, this uh, place cost uh, 950000 And you're like, that's, that's a lot of money. I don't care, you know, where you're at. Like stuff's just expensive there. And like the wages aren't commensurate with that either. Like. People still make, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year here is pretty close to the same thing there. But for some, some somehow, they're able to buy uh, buy nine hundred fifty thousand dollars <laughs> houses. I guess it's because they're not spending twenty percent of their income on insurance. There it is. You think? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's probably something like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> like we're gonna gouge you in the fucking housing market. How yeah, about that? Yeah, <laughs> you got the money. I know you got the money. <laughs> Listen, we fixed your ankle. All right, make with the mortgage. So, did you say that you are from Memphis? Mm. I was born in Hollywood, Florida. It's okay. like just outside of Miami. Ah, yeah. um, but we left. The year was nineteen hundred and eighty-seven. The nineteen hundreds. Were two years old. I was two years old, and cocaine was everywhere. Oh yeah. And so my parents were like, "Let's get out of here. Let's go somewhere safer." Like Memphis, the murder and rape capital of the world. <laughs> yeah, they're turning it into crack rock there. It's it's going to be great. You just in twenty years they're going to make the pyramid into a Bass Pro Shop. Just you wait and see. <laughs> Is that really why they left Miami? It was too dangerous or yeah. Hollywood? Really? Yeah. Well, both of my parents worked for the airlines. They worked for Northwest Airlines, and so mm. the hubs were in Memphis, Detroit, and Minneapolis. Yep. Um, and they picked Memphis. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad they did though. Because I've been to Minneapolis. I did not I do not share your sentiment. Really? No. Was it cold when you went? It was very cold. Yeah. It was very and they do that thing where they blow the hot air at you before you walk out of the door. Oh, it just makes it worse. And then you go outside and it's frigid. Yeah, that's a hardy bunch that lives up there. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Uh okay, so your parents worked for the airlines mm -hmm. and not both of them? Uh they did at the time, yeah. Is your dad a pilot? No, my dad was a baggage thrower. Oh, cool. He was one of those guys. That bastard. I know. God. He's told me stories, though, about, like, they unionized, and they would, um, they would like, not like a manager, and so they would just take one bag at a time and take so long, and then finally, like, the, the reps would show up, and they would be like, what do you want? And they're like, that guy gone. Wow. And then kick him out. So they would just leverage. Yeah. Yep. That's the unions for oh. you. They're a necessary evil, but they I, I wield like a, a lot of power. Yeah. You do? I like a union. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of uh, ambivalent on the whole thing. Yeah. I think when they're when they're necessary, they are great tools. Yeah. And I think when they are exploited like anything else, that they're impediments to sure. to efficiency. Well, yeah, sure. And I, I think that the that the power they can wield, as long as it's not taken advantage of, I think it's great. Because they exist for a reason. They exist because workers are can be mistreated. Yes. And there's nothing in place other than the law to keep them to keep people safe, working, you know, in safe working conditions, working humane hours and all that. And that's when unions are great to come in. 
now when I go to the Javits Center in New York to set up a trade show and uh, I've got a radio in to get an extension cord instead of using the one I've got in my suitcase. Yeah, that part. Yeah. And then that guy, <laughs> that I'm like, oh, can I get a power strip too? He's like, oh no, you got to talk to the guy in the power strip union. <laughs> the power strip union's the 413. I, I, I'm in the 652, man. I can't help you. My hands are tight. Ex- exactly. That's <laughs> when it becomes too much for me. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you there. Yeah. Like, just give me the, can I just pick up the fucking extension cord? What yeah. are we doing? Yeah. Can I ask, are you in the, are you in the union? No. You're not. That's the 600, right? The yeah. camera union. Is that the one you'd be in or would you be DGA? Um, I would probably opt for the DGA. Yeah. Yeah. My camera work isn't as extensive as my directing work. Gotcha. Yeah. I, di- I didn't know what the best route to go was. I, I almost, I almost had to join the union in yeah. order to be, to be on a shoot one time that I was uh, first AC on and the opportunity didn't come up, but the show almost flipped while I was on it and it ended up canceling. The shoot didn't happen, but I, w- I would have done it. The dream is to get on a shoot that flips. Yeah, that's or, the way to do it. Right? Ugh. My buddy would just jo- be the best. Josh Lowry. He was, he's been on the podcast before. He's a lead editor on The Amazing Race now. And he uh, he's from Knoxville. But he uh, he was on a show that flipped. He, he, he did non-union work for years in L.A., non-union edit work. And then he went to the union office uh, and took all his paperwork and they're like, all right, congratulations, Mr. Lowry. You're now a proud member of the editor's union, whatever the number is. And they're like, that'll be $6,548. <laughs> and he's like, um, sir, the show that I'm on actually flipped. And he's like, click, 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 type, 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 type. That'll be a hundred dollars, Mr. Lowry. <laughs> <laughs> That's better. Yeah. He's like, cool. cool. I'm in. I'm in. And he's been in the, he's been in the. You know, the the editor's union in L.A. Yeah, and man. gotten hella good work for years and years. No, the DGA is crazy. I think I it, don't say hella good anything. I don't know why. You can say hella. You can pull know. off hella. Yeah. Look you at you. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I don't know, man. I don't know. Listen, with a face like that. Hey, thanks. You can say anything. <laughs> <laughs> so so the the Memphis thing. So the parents were like, oh, yes, our our Hollywood, Florida is too dangerous. Memphis sounds better. It's in Tennessee. Uh, you get to Memphis uh, during the the uh, probably during the crack epidemic, eighties, uh, nineties, and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Memphis is uh, can be a rough place. Can be, yeah, sure. Um, I happen to like Memphis, and every time I go there, I like it a little bit more. When I decided to move the first time, I still loved it, and then I'm when I dropped out of school. I dropped out of school a couple of times. That's all right. Uh, but when I dropped out the first time, um, I did not love it when I went back. But so now- th- so you're how old at that point? 20? Yeah. Somewhere, okay. or no, yeah, 21, 22. Somewhere in there. I didn't love it. And it was just like, you know, this town is bullshit. I need to go somewhere else. Whatever. Just running. Um, but now every time I go back, I, I have like really good memories. And like I, I enjoy my brother still lives there. So I get to go visit him, which I'm yeah. sure is part of it. I've I've been to Memphis probably more in the last couple of years than I had been in the years before that and um uh cumulatively and I I you know I was there shooting something with Shane Hunter and he before we went he's like have you ever shot in Memphis and I was like man you know I'm trying to think I don't think I have I think I've just visited here mm-hmm. before and uh, he was like man it's a really photogenic city Yes. And once I started looking around and looking at it in a way that, yeah, I'm about to photograph this or, or cinematograph this, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was like, man, this is 
actually a really beautiful city and uh, tons of history, tons of of culture. Uh, one of my best friends uh, that I met when I was yeah, he's still one of my best friends uh, that I met when I was in school at UT is from Memphis. And so he is just kind of this like microcosm of Memphis for me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, went to public schools there. Uh, so a man just chip on his shoulder. That's right. Like he gets instant street cred. He does get instant That's street right. cred. You and don't fuck with people from Memphis. You don't No, Cause uh, we might stab you. Right. He might. <laughs> and I love him. He's one of my best friends in the world. If you cross him. But, but he, I mean, like being around him when we were 18 or so, we go home and visit his parents or whatever, like, and being in the, uh, being in the city of Memphis with a local, someone that grew up there, visiting his friends, going to shows with him, like living his life with him was totally different than what I experienced growing up in West Knoxville, Mm -hmm. you know, 400 miles away in the same state. It's like, it's crazy. The two different kind of upbringings that we had and fairly similar socioeconomic standing. Like, you know, it's just the geography was different. Yep. And we're both middle-class white kids, you know, growing up in the state of Tennessee, but our upbringings and the culture that, that, uh, uh, that stuck with us and that we carried out was just, couldn't have been more different. It seems like. And I mean, I, I really I learned a lot from him. I'm a more cultured person because of him. I'll understand more about people because of him. And uh it it's so I I've always I've kind of talked shit about Memphis on this podcast before and shame on you. I know. And I am down to eat a little bit of crow because I have had like when I look back at, at my relationship with Memphis over the last twenty years and I look at the r- recent experiences that I have in that I've had in Memphis, like it's kind of growing on me a little bit. Now you can still have Atlanta. Atlanta can get out of here. I'm I'm not about it. Uh, Atlanta. I do not love Atlanta. I don't either. But Memphis is growing on me. I used to say Memphis, Atlanta. You can have both of them. I don't <laughs> care. But now Memphis is growing on me. Well, good. Yeah. Now Memphis is fun, man. And the I think the thing I miss the most about Memphis is the food. Yeah. Like it's just it's hard to find like good soul food here. Yeah. And the barbecue in my opinion. Better in Memphis. Oh my god. Yeah. Like it's not even fucking close. Are you a central barbecue guy? No. No. It's usually um there's a place called the commissary that I like a lot. I've heard of it. It's like a family owned joint. It's like this seventy five year old lady in the back cooking. It's That's just the, awesome. Oh, it's the best. Did you go to public school? I did. Which one? Went to Houston High School. Okay, cool. That's Germantown, right? It is. We so my parents that we Because it sounds kind of bougie. We I'm not happy about it. <laughs> we I was I went to Cordova Middle. Okay. And Cordova Middle was like the first year that it was open ever. Right. So I lived in Cordova. I didn't live in Germantown. Okay. Cordova was more lower class than Germantown was, right? So I was used to a certain way of things. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when I went to high school, we we moved, I think, the year before I went to high school and for that reason because it was a better school. And uh, all the kids there, like, they would be driving brand new cars when they came and they all live in, you know, these ridiculous houses. And it was not what I was used to right? at all. So I got, I got made fun of a lot for not having all the Abercrombie and Fitch things. <laughs> I yeah. was an old Navy kid, man. Yeah. There's a lot worse things to oh. be made fun of for. Oh, for sure. I'd it, probably still wear old Navy now. I love it? old Navy. Yeah. Like you can't get bargains like that. Where's Abercrombie and Fitch Houston high school. <laughs> tell me, tell me where they're at right now. That, that, so that's, 
that's interesting to grow up as kind of like what is seen as almost a have not in uh, in uh, the midst of a bunch of I don't know. Oh, for sure, well man. Well-to-do kids. We weren't like poor, poor. Right. Right. But like I shared- But your friends thought you were because you Absolutely. were old baby. <laughs> I shared a car with my mom. Yeah. You know, like it was yeah. a lot of that kind of thing. A lot of like, uh, you know, our neighbors, they were a little bit older than us. And they're like, hey, we have all these clothes. And they were like, give them to us. Yeah. We'll take them. Yeah. Um, but no, I ended up where, where we moved to. It's like this- really strange place in the middle of memphis it's around this like very it's gonna sound bad it's around this really small lake right you can only yeah. take like paddle boats and that sort of thing oh right? yeah um but it was like the best place to, and it's not in germantown to be a kid not in germantown it was in cordova no it's in cordova it's off of walnut grove okay but it's called walnut grove lake and it was just like this really small community that was kind of like this hidden gem and just the best place to grow up, man. Did your parents continue to work for Northwest Airlines or in the air, airline industry? Uh, no, my my dad got let go because his back went out. He like slipped a disc. Yeah. Um, and then that they, sucks. They told him that he was used goods. Was he in the union? Uh, yeah, they paid for it. Okay, good. Um, but they let him go, and then my mom ended up. Uh, she didn't want to be gone as much. Was and, she a flight attendant? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I can, I can remember when I was little being like, mom, please don't put on the red dress. Oh, please. Oh, dude, that's heartbreaking. I know. And so she quit. Wow. Were you an only child? She's the best. No, I got a little brother. Okay. He's four years younger than me. Okay. Is he still there in Memphis? He won't leave no matter how much I ask him to. (laughs) He got that chip on his shoulder. I was talking about. Yeah, man. He's hard as fuck. (laughs) Uh, no, he's a musician and the music, the music scene there is really, really good. It is really good. We, uh, one of the, uh, most recent reasons I went there was for, uh, to film the Tennessee songwriters week competition at Lafayette's in, uh, in Memphis. And so it's like, it's this competition put on by Tennessee department of tourism where they, uh, have all of these competitions around the state at like the Bijou theater and the small theater in Johnson city. And they have like one in almost every County. They have like 40 something of these competitions okay. and they just whittle it down to the best songwriters. And then they, they go to like the semifinals in Memphis, Franklin, Chattanooga, okay. Knoxville. And then if you, if you, you know, win those, then you go on to the, to the finals and, uh, which is at the Bluebird Theater in Nashville, which is the smallest venue of all of them that they do, which is kind of crazy because it's like, you know, that's the that's the one Taylor Swift played. And, you know, yeah. you'll find people swinging in. It was on the show Nashville yep. and all this. Everybody has played there. And it's like fire marshal, like 50 people let in there or something like that. Is it really? Yeah, it's super small. But we went to Memphis. And, man, I got to say, like – I went to the to the Memphis one and I went to the Franklin one and it was exactly as you would expect. The Mem- the Memphis music scene reflected Memphis. A little grittier, right? It was grittier. Mm-hmm. It w- it had to me more substance. And I love country music and I love singer songwriter. I love folk music. The Memphis stuff, even the stuff that to me wasn't stuff that I would listen to. It was it still had soul in there. Mm-hmm. It still it still had chops, but it was it was grittier. Yeah. And then you know went to the Franklin one. Nothing against that. It just has more of the 
of the Nashville country vibe to it. Sure. And to me, I, I was so proud of the Memphis music scene when I saw all that because I was like, man, this city is never going to be ashamed of who it is and what it is. No, man, it's bluesy and raw and it's just the – oh, I love it. The kid that the kid that I think was the best of, of all of them that I saw, his name's Harzy, and he's from Memphis. And um, and it it's not even it it's not even it's not even blues it's not hip hop it's like it's almost like some kind of disco pop soul interesting like, and he's a seventeen year old kid from Memphis Harzy H A R Z E E listen to it on I'm Spotify look, I'm look this dude up you should we should listen to it after the podcast because it is okay. It's solid. And the kid's 17 and he goes to Stax Academy. They have like a songwriting academy and he goes there. So this kid is, is almost like prep school music style, you know, and he is making killer music and blew everybody's socks off in at Lafayette's in Memphis did the thing at the bluebird. And it was different than everybody else's music. And it was like, it wasn't just the moment of the night because it was different than everything else. It was the moment of the night because he's a star. Yeah, because it was the moment. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah it stood out. Did he, he won. They don't. Uh, if you're a finalist, they don't break it down any farther than that. So once okay. you get to the Bluebird, the six or seven uh, songwriters at the Bluebird are the finalists. Got it. Okay. So they're they're they don't compete to you know the American Idol crown or yeah, anything yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Uh, but it's a fascinating kind of thing that, and that's like. I mean, say what you want to about about the state of Tennessee and the way it spends money. Like, you know, that's that's public that's public money that was spent on this competition to um, to be an incubator for the arts and and to show you know Tennessee is a state that comes up in every you know every genre of music that you hear out there. You, you people write about it and all kinds of songs and. Uh, it's it's the state making an effort, I think, to ensure that we are relevant and we're getting the best of the best together. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of nurturing that and providing opportunity to our music and art scene. And I think it's I think it's brilliant. I'm all for it. Hell yeah. I think it's cool. Um so uh so mom mom quits putting on the red dress, right? That's right. She became uh, a waitress at a place called Folks Folly. Okay, where's that? It's in Memphis. It's like a, I'm trying to, I can't remember what road it's on, but it's like a fancy steakhouse. What'd your dad do after he quit, uh, quit tossing bags? Oh, a number of things. Yeah. Did um, he, but he went back to work. It's not like he, yeah. it's not like he drew disability and, and just sat at home the whole time. No, he worked for Unifirst for a little while. Um, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> that's all right. We don't have to go through your parents' whole work history. But, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but at some point, North Northwest Airlines uh, uh, went away. So I wondered Correct. if they if they made it all the way to the end or not. No, no, they were out before. Yeah, I remember I flew on Southwest when I was like 20 years old or so, and they were like, "If you enjoyed your flight today, uh, call our office in Houston or Southwest or Southwest office in Houston, and uh, if if you had a problem with our flight, please reach out to our uh, our, our northern headquarters at Northwest Airlines in, in <laughs> Minneapolis. <laughs> it's like, that's pretty good. Well played. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so when you're in Memphis and you're and you're you know graduating from from Houston and and going to college, did you want to go to Tennessee like so many people that I met there because it was 
about as far away as you could go and still get in-state tuition? Or was there something about Knoxville that drew you here? No, I didn't want to go at all. You didn't? No, I didn't want to go to school, period, but I didn't have a plan. Mm. Um, and so <laughs> I had a really bad GPA in high school. Yeah, me too. Um, did well on the ACT. Me too. And my mother uh, applied for me <laughs> to UT. Yeah. And then uh, she, I think, called them every day for like a month or two. Like the admissions office? Yeah, and badgered them into submission. And then they let me in. That's great. Um, so she did that. And then I came up here. And I don't, you're like you're saying, like totally different culture. Ended up falling in love with the place. Like really? I, I love Knoxville so much. Mm. Um, and I, I'll give most of the credit of that to my wife. But <laughs> but at the time, it was like, it was pretty cool. I never, like, I wasn't like a huge football guy, yeah. but it was pretty fun to go to the games. And then like the, yeah, like the student life was really, really fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just came up here kind of because I, I was told to. Because you were told you had to do something. Yeah. It, you know, I kind of miss that about the University of Tennessee. The reason I ended up at the University of Tennessee is probably for very similar reasons. I had to do something mm -hmm. and it was the option. I mean, it was here. I grew up a, you know, huge Tennessee sports fan. It was everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, 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 the town has, or the, the university has a huge impact on the town and it was available. It's like, I mean, it's a top 10 business school in the country. I can go to school here, stay with all my, all my friends are going there. You know, it's yeah. easy. It makes sense. Yes. I ended up not staying you know, and, and did, and did something else, but that like fallback mentality to the university of Tennessee is gone because the year that you and I were the same age year that you and I, uh, went, uh, to the, or started at the university of Tennessee, I think was right when the Tennessee lottery came yep. and when the Tennessee lottery came and the, you know, hope scholarship that was modeled after the state of Georgia, where, you know, it, any, uh, student in the state of Tennessee who had above a certain GPA could get a full scholarship to the university of Tennessee. It changed the game because just like it did in Georgia, when they implemented it years before the Jeep, the entrance, the GPA of, uh, accepted students started to go through the roof yep. to where, you know, no longer could you just skate by and get in. Like you and I would have never gotten We'd in. We'd be fucked, man. No, we would, we would be. And I mean, I've heard something crazy. Like you have to have a 4.0 to get in the University of Tennessee from out of state now. No kidding. I, that's what I heard. I'm this anecdotal evidence, but I mean, I, I've heard it is super hard to get into. Well, I'm, I think it's more desired now than it was. You, wait, oh, three, right? That's when I graduated high school. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think back then, Tennessee, like right currently, Right. Tennessee is like top 10 in the country in baseball, swimming. I think the track team. Yeah. Um, guys, basketball, girls, basketball, and then football, obviously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's like way more desired than back See, in the day. But I, I think that when, I mean, we were four years off of a national championship in football when I That's true. applied to UT. So, I mean, things were good. Things were looking good. And That's I got true. in just in time to, to watch it all <laughs> fall apart and burn to pieces. And I, uh, who knew Casey Clawson wouldn't be the answer. I mean, he's like, he, who I, knew? I, I still think he has the highest passing percentage ever at the university of Tennessee. That's well, because they ran at the other two downs. <laughs> yeah. And he only threw it five yards, but, but now like it, I think since athletics happened, you saw interest from high school seniors yep. go down too. 
uh, especially in football. You saw that when football went down and started going in the gutter into the Lane Kiffin years, the all-time low with Derek Dooley and started to come back up out of that. I, I'm pretty sure admissions were 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 pretty parallel to that. This last year, after the Alabama game, oh my god, and, and the end of the season, they got something like fifty percent or or more than that, fifty percent more college applications than than usual. So if you think they get, you know, if you think they get forty thousand applications a year, now they're getting sixty thousand applications a year. I mean, that's like, and and the number might be higher than that, the percentage, but it's like a huge influx, yeah, of of. Uh, students that want to go to the University of Tennessee now after watching after watching all that but but I you know people give athletics a hard time and if you go back and look at at the 150 something guests that we've had on this show half of them live here and the University of because the University of Tennessee brought them here from somewhere else yep. and it may be more than that and so you know, say what you want about sports and it has no, it should not be shared with athletics, but like it is having a serious impact on the culture of the town. And the people that I talk to on this show are people that are in, in a lot of cases, you know, the cultural fabric of the town, the people that are making the art, the people that are making the music, the people that are making the movies that, that happen in, in this town. And, and so if sports has to be, you know, kind of a necessary evil to help grow our base of creatives and culture of the city, then I mean, I, I think it's fine. Not to mention I'm a huge sports fan. Yeah. Too, it's so. a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of people, a lot of people hate on it because it's like, you know, I'll never go to school there because it's just a jock, you know, drinking school. And it's like, well, it can be yeah. if you want it to be it also has a great arts program. Yeah. It's kind of whatever you want, right? Sure. Choose your own adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm 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 glad it I'm glad it got you here. So, did you ever? Uh, you said you went back to Memphis once, but when, <laughs> like, why? Why when you came to Tennessee, what was your plan to? What did you study or what did you want to study? Um, I didn't know when I first got there, but I took a psychology class my mm. freshman year, and it really piqued an interest of mine. Interesting. So I, so I started taking almost exclusively psychology classes. Gotcha. I, I did away with all the core classes. Yeah. And so I just, just psychology. Wow. And before you, before you ever even got the prereqs or not the prereqs, but like the base, like yes. English and math and all that, you, yeah, you just had like a nerdy interest in the brain. Yeah. How it works. I, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, okay. I thought. And wanted to be a psychiatrist yeah. and then found out you had to go to med school. Yeah. And you were like in charge of people's lives. Mm -hmm. And that's too much for me. Hmm. I can't do it. I couldn't handle that. Um, so I ended up, I dropped out that time. And then uh, I went to school in Memphis. How long had you been? How long had you been at uh, UT when you? Probably like three years. Sorry, oh, wow. Two, two years, three years. Okay. I'm not sure. I was bartending at the time and it's all a little fuzzy. Yeah. Um, but, but the psychology thing just wasn't wasn't working out no i still i'm still fascinated by right. the brain and why people do what they do you just and, didn't want to do the medical route no i didn't want to be in charge of people's lives mm. like that's, there's a lot of responsibility it's to too it. much responsibility for me i want to play make-believe that sounds more my bag yeah it is it is very real <laughs> yeah like i just i saw somebody die and i couldn't handle it and i was just like, like in class no 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 it was like i saw i saw a lady have a heart attack and she just kind of fell out and started foaming at the mouth where, where? i was playing basketball at a friend's house and it was like a neighbor who wandered over and she was talking about Christmas lights and it was like June. And so we thought something was up and then she just kind of fell out. Oh no. And my buddy's dad came running out and tried to do CPR and it just fucked me up. And I was like, no, thank you. Did you watch the whole thing go down? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was a lot. That is frightening, man. Yeah. Was she, how old was she? I mean, she's probably, I don't know, 60s, 70s. Yeah, but too young to be somewhere in there. Yeah, for sure. Out. It was just like she, here she is talking to us, and then boom. So she came out. Did you know this lady? Nope. You'd never seen her before. Nope. Did your did the guy that lived there had he ever seen her before? I don't know. I didn't ask. Okay. I think we were all just kind of freaked out. And just were like, you freaked out when she came over and started talking about Christmas lights in the middle of summer, or yeah. were you just like this person's a little nut? We thought she was kind of nuts. You know, yeah. we were kind of like laughing it off a little bit, and then it got very real very fast. Ugh. And it was just it was too much. And like I saw him giving CPR, and I was like I can't like i can't be in i can't be near that position what was that like what was it like to be watching this happen what what were you feeling in in your brain like were you thinking surely this is going to turn out better than i think it is or were you just like this is a a real moment and i have no control over it like what i can't imagine it was terror and panic and hoping for the best, you know, and my buddy's dad got over there and when he was doing compressions, like I was like, okay, maybe it'll be okay. But it for sure wasn't, you know, and Did you it, feel helpless a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Just it got, life got very real in that moment. You know what wow. I mean? Like mortality and did it change you kind of for forever as a person so. or yeah. is it just something that happened to you? No, I don't think it's just something that happened. I think it fucked me up a little bit. Really? And, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think so. Dude, that is wild. It's pretty heavy. I've never seen anybody die. I've seen a dead body after they died, but I've never seen and that it's terrible. Don't. Yeah, I'm sure. But that so that was a moment where you were like, yeah, this is a lot of responsibility that that people that are in the medical field have to have and might encounter. Yeah. And I mean, you and know, I don't if, want any part of that. Yeah. <laughs> like if you think about like a, a someone who works in the ER, like that's like Tuesday. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. I, I can't. Right. I can't, right, I can't right. be in that world. It's too intense for me. Gotcha. So, so then pretty quickly after that, you're moving back and you, did you go to Memphis state? Uh, I went to, yes, actually. Yeah. I forgot they changed the name. Was it Memphis state at <laughs> no, the time? It was university of Memphis. Was it university time. of Memphis already? Yeah. I think we're in 2000. Let's see. When I decided to go back to school, it was like, Oh, seven, Oh eight. Okay. Something like that. So and they had changed. Yeah. And I'd studied, uh, I was studying secondary education. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I played lacrosse. I did too. And, it's the best. It is the best sport. What did you play? Ever. X. Yes. You were my nemesis. Really? I was uh, a crease defender. Oh, you were? Yeah, Dude, man. you were lighting me up all day long. All day. Cup checks. Oh, man. All day with the cup checks. <laughs> yeah. So for people wait, who wait, don't hold know. On, hold on. You lived here? Yes. Where'd you go to school? West, uh, I went to Bearden High School. The name of our team was West Knox Lacrosse. I wonder if Because it was a club team. Each other. We, we were have. club also. Yeah. We, we may have. We were the Mad Snails. Uh, I don't know if we did. We we ended up. I don't know if we played any Memphis teams. I remember we played Father Ryan. Yep. And we played BGA or something. How like nice that. was that Father Ryan field? By awesome. The way. Oh I my scored God. my first goal at Father Ryan. Really? Yes. And it was like my second or third game ever playing lacrosse. Hell and they yeah. were like, "All right, this dude's got to play some more." <laughs> yeah. That's uh, lacrosse is such a fascinating sport. It's like soccer meets hockey. Yep. Meets football. I mean, it is it it is such an awesome sport that uses. You know, you've got endurance, you've got strength, you have accuracy, ball control skills, tactile stuff. It is, it's an awesome sport. In my opinion, it's the most fun sport to watch. Really? Like by far. Yeah. Yeah, There's no like breaks. No. You know what I mean? Uh Uh-uh. Like in football, football's wonderful, right? Right. But it's like, there's like, what is it? There's 60 minutes of gameplay, (laughs) but it takes four hours. Yep. You know what I mean? Like lacrosse is just go, 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 go. Yep. 
it's kind of it's kind of like soccer, but it's more fast paced. There's a lot more action. You know, there's you know 15 goals a game scored yep. instead of maybe zero yeah. in soccer. Uh, it's it's a uh, zero it's a, would be a rough day. Yeah, it's not it's not that cool <laughs> to watch. Um, so so then I guess that gets us to like where you moved back to Knoxville and ran into Paul Harrell and then got yep. over at the university. Yeah, wow, so we kind of hit both ends of that and then worked our way back up. I think so. Back yeah, up, back up to it. What made you come back to Knoxville? Um, I don't know. To be honest, was it just? I, like, I think it's because I've been here before. Really, and I just needed to get out of Memphis. Yeah, not because of Memphis, but I yeah. just needed a, a change. Well, well, after you got, you know, after you went over to Jupiter, met Todd Moss, and started working your way through it, you've done a lot of good work. It sounds like, and I've gotten to run into you and be around you while you, while you did some of it. But um, what is it? What is it right now, or what what is it most recently that has kept you busy and excited you the most? Um, let's see. It's kind of a loaded question, and I know you don't mean it that way, <laughs> but it's a little loaded just because I have I like I I make short films, right? Mm-hmm. And I haven't made one in five years. Oh wow! But that would be the most recent one, and it's probably the thing that I was the most excited about. But it's called Papa. Okay. You can find it on YouTube. Okay. Um, but we did a period piece about a guy who kind of loses his mind. How and, long is it? Hmm. I think it's like 15 minutes. Somewhere How there. hard is it to make a period film? It was difficult. It was quite difficult. What was the period? Uh, it was in like the 1860s. Dude, that sounds impossibly expensive. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't? No, I think- Is it just all with costume and did you shoot a lot of it exterior? Um, Some. We get, we shot in the James White Fort. Oh, okay. Which was really which nice. Which is period, period correct. Correct, Amundo. So we did all of that. Um, and they were very, very nice and kind of let us do whatever we want. That's amazing. As... I would think they'd give you a hard time. Nope. They really just there. don't break anything. Yeah. Um, we shot there on the Garcia Brothers project, actually. Oh, cool. Um, but we shot there and then we had the hardest time finding the exterior of the cabin. And I mean, I looked for weeks and months and I couldn't find anything. And then I got a phone call from a friend and he was like, hey, man, down the street, there's a person who lives here and there's a cabin on there on their property and it was off a of ball camp. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and it was like a lady who'd been there for like, you know, 50, 60 years. There were two tiny little cabins. And I mean, it was probably the front of the cabin was probably eight feet away from her house. Very modern house. So we had to frame everything looking yeah. only at the cabin. Long lens, get it way back. and A little bit. Yeah. yeah. But it turned out, I, I think it turned out pretty well. It's called Papa. Mm-hmm. Any other short films on the horizon? Uh, I hope so. I'm writing two features. Awesome. Currently. So what is that? Like a hundred pages or so? Give or take. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in that world. I'm not sure how long they're going to be. And you use script, script writing, script format to write this stuff. You don't use like, I work from AB scripts all the time. Because an, what is that? It's where the page is split in half. And on the left side of the page is, this is what you hear. Oh, okay. Or this is what you see that's on the left side of the page. Okay. And on the right side of the page is what you hear. I'm sure you've seen them around yes. and worked from them. But like, it's been so long since I've seen uh, like a narrative script or worked from one that I'm so fascinated. I haven't written in that format since film school either. So it's like, I wouldn't know where to start. It's oh, fascinating that you can do that. To me, it's the way. I don't know. It's yeah. all I know. Yeah. So I just kind of, yeah, I don't know. It makes sense to me. And like the other script, like the scripts I get at Jupiter, they don't resemble that right. at all. And so those are, <laughs> I have to be like, okay, yeah, that's what that means. Okay, yeah. I got it. 
but normal script format, I, I don't know. I think you just get used to it. Yeah, I, th- I think the reason that we do the AB thing is so uh, uh, so our clients can understand what, sure. we're, what we're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? That makes sense. Yeah. Well, uh, any other shows coming up? Any other uh, I'm on a sh- shows? I'm on a show right now called For My Man. Ooh, what's that? It's Good Girls Gone Bad and Get This. For, Murder? For Their Men. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so they, so they carry out some crimes uh, because... Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned or <laughs> they something. Get, they get wrapped up usually with the wrong dude ah. who convinces them to do something that is a little bit out of character. Really? Yeah. Dude, that sounds kind of all these concepts sound like I hear them like a nine one one call and then and then all of a sudden you're in the throes of a crime. Like that sounds fast this idea sounds fascinating too. It's absolutely fascinating. It seems like they're coming up like it seems like the the kind of format of how they of how the shows are carried out. Some is seemingly somewhat formulaic, but these ideas continue to change and like it, there must, they must be limitless. It seems like. I think so. I mean, there, I th- there's a lot of stories, you know, of girls who got themselves into a sticky situation. But how they, many they TV series dude. have been, how many TV series have been made about them? You know, probably not that many. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they they found a motif and that's digging true. into it, you know, that's true. It's pretty cool. Well, I'm I'm super excited for you, man. I'm I'm, you know, you and I have been on the on the periphery, and we, uh, you know, rub elbows every now and then when we see each other. But you know, it's it's cool to kind of get a catch up and and to get the whole story. It's, yeah, man, it's always so good to see you. You make me smile every time I see you. Same, I don't know what it is. Same with you, man. <laughs> I I I, I, uh, I I love people who uh, who bring you up instead of bring you down, man. And you're one of those people. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Well, anything else? We miss anything? I don't think so. Yeah. I think that's just about it. Cool. Well, let's do it again sometime. And I'm very excited for you and the and the work and the future you've got coming up. And congratulations. Oh, thanks, bud. Well, congratulations to you. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you real soon. <laughs> yeah, man. Take care, buddy. See you.